It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. A reminder, you can reach us in a variety of ways. 201-939-4513. That is option number one. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. And you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app. Podcast platforms everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcast. So the Senior Bowl practice sessions are underway leading up to Saturday afternoon's game. We should be hearing from our very own John Schmelk momentarily as he will give his latest report. Practice number one was yesterday. They'll continue to move forward the rest of the week, as I mentioned, leading up to Saturday's game. So we'll certainly get into that. And then Brian Dable is now trying to put together a coaching staff, nothing official from the Mm -hmm. Giants, but there have been some various reports about perhaps some candidates that he's trying to hone in on at the respective position. So we'll get into all of that and more as we move forward here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. And once the Senior Bowl practices start, Paul, it really signals a transition into draft season, as I know we still have to play the Super Bowl to crown a champion and put a bow on the 2021 season, but everybody else is really now in off-season mode as we start to look ahead to the draft. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, Brian Dayball is staying back in New Jersey. You mentioned to try to get that staff together, which is why Joe Shane and the rest of his personnel department is in Mobile, Alabama uh, at the Senior Bowl because they're doing the homework. Brian Dayball is doing Zoom interviews. He's he, This staff thing is, is at the top of his priority list, and I understand that. After all, it is the GM who acquires the players and makes the picks. You know, the coach always gets uh, consulted in that deal, but the coach's top priority has to be the staff. And I'm just curious, you know, as uh, we go through the rest of this week, there's the Shrine game on Thursday, the Senior Bowl game on Saturday. Uh, It ought to be very interesting to see just how many of these guys wind up in East Rutherford come April. Well, the other thing that's interesting with you bringing up Brian Dable staying back to finalize the coaching staff, which I think is by far the biggest priority right now. The other thing that's somewhat related to that, when Joe Shane spoke to the media on the side after Dable's introductory presser, the one thing that I found interesting was he brought up the interactions that the two of them have had, whether it be in Miami and in Buffalo. And he says what Dable does that's very helpful is he'll specifically lay out to the front office I want a player with the following characteristics. Mm -hmm. I want a wide receiver that could play all four positions. I want a tight end that could be utilized out in the backfield, can maybe run the ball, could be a fullback, could catch the ball in the backfield. And Joe Shane had mentioned, Paul, that that helped really the process move along and then pinpointing specific guys that they can then present back to the coaching staff and say, hey, here's the guys that meet the criteria that you wanted. What do you think? And he actually gave two examples, which I found interesting. He mentioned Charles Clay, who was a tight end that the Dolphins selected. And this is when Dable was the offensive coordinator. He was a sixth-round pick in 2011. Then Clay actually rejoined Dable when he took over his OC in Buffalo. And then he mentioned Gabriel Davis, who had a very good postseason. He was there. 2020 fourth round pick for the Bills Mm -hmm. and he basically gave the exact criteria that I was mentioning for each of those respective positions so the reason I bring that up is it's not to say Paul that you need him to be down there to analyze all the prospects when obviously he can watch film but 
he's thinking more in conjunction with the scheme, what they want to run, what their needs are based on the voids on the roster. And I just thought that was an interesting dynamic that Joe Shane brought up. Well, consider what's gone on over the last several months. Joe Shane has been very involved in the Bills drafting process to the point where at his presser, he flat out said he already had the first four rounds done when he was with the Bills before he took the Giants job. So he has done so much in-person and extensive research on these picks, it makes perfect sense that he would be the one going to the Senior Bowl and doing more research on these guys because it's just building on the foundation of all the work he's already done. You and I both know Brian Dable's plate has been pretty full with what the Bills were doing without worrying about prospects. (laughs) 100%. And right now, his priority is to move forward with the Giants coaching staff. So, you know, I understand why he's saying, hey, let me stay back. Let me do some interviews. Let me speak to individuals. And then I'll get feedback from the front office personnel that goes to the Senior Bowl. And also, if Joe Shane already laid out sort of how they structure the draft process in which Dable's been involved, it seems like they have a good basis already in place where if he's providing the characteristics, they're pinpointing the talent, the communication, I think, has already been well-established. That goes back to why Joe Shane talked about alignment is so important, understanding what the coach is looking for, the coach understanding what the GM looks for, and so forth. And, you know, once again, maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, Paul, but whenever we have conversations about if you have two players and they're maybe on the same line in terms of the evaluation on the board, sometimes you say to yourself, okay, well, what is it that serves as the tiebreaker. It could be something that Dable went to Joe Shane in the front office and said, this wide receiver can play all four positions. The other wide receiver that you have on the board can only play two positions. We're going to take the guy who could play four because that's what the coaching staff wants. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about that, Lance. And quite honestly, too, uh, and it can even happen with a middle-round draft pick, not just the guys on the back end where they might say, hey, this guy could really help us on special teams. I mean, that could be a tiebreaker. It's not necessarily a priority. Priority is special teams in the sixth and seventh rounds. Okay, but when you're in the middle rounds, you might see a third or fourth rounder who you say, man, I think this guy's a good player. But by the way, he kicks butt on special teams. That could be a tiebreaker. Especially since guys who are taken a little bit later on in the draft, the best way for them to solidify a roster spot, of course, is what you're talking about, contributing on special teams. But it was just, it was interesting for Joe Shane to give examples because you know, Paul, when we hear press conferences and side sessions, everybody talks in generics. This Mm -hmm. guy is helpful in the process. The fact that he actually gave two players that are real-life players that actually yeah. went into an NFL game. I just thought it was interesting. And for Shane to also remember, remember, Charles Clay was a 2011 sixth-rounder. Mm-hmm. It's not as if that guy was drafted yesterday. We're talking about over a decade ago, yet he still remembered the conversation he had with Dable when he was the Dolphins' offensive coordinator and what exactly Dable laid out, and that triggered them, hey, you know what? Charles Clay fits that bill because he could do A, B, C, and D, and that's exactly what the coaching staff mentioned. So I just I thought once again, whenever somebody could provide real life examples, it makes it a little bit more than, you know, just a generic conversation, which further proves that the relationship between those two guys has been strengthened over the course of the last few years. I would totally agree with that, Lance, one hundred percent. So that was something once again that ties in to the draft process and As we look ahead to the Senior Bowl, 
as far as yesterday's practice was concerned, they were wearing uppers. So, you know, it wasn't the most ultra physical practice <laughs> for major takeaways. Clearly, whenever you get to the senior bowl, Paul, the biggest class that gets all the attention is normally the quarterbacks but remember this year's class is not necessarily out there like previous classes however it's still an opportunity for you know maybe a guy like Kenny Pickett out of Pittsburgh to perhaps move up the draft board see that's the thing the months leading up to the draft we hear okay it's not a great quarterback class then all of a sudden you have the senior bowl you have bowl season you have the draft process the combine little by little you're gonna find out somebody's gonna fall in love Paul with one of these quarterbacks. You know what's going to happen, whether it be Malik Willis out of Liberty, Sam Howell out of North Carolina, who lost a lot of talent and his numbers dipped a little bit. Someone is going to take a good magnifying glass, put these guys under it, and all of a sudden say, you know what, I can envision him in my team's uniform. Well, especially with a guy like Willis, because he started out at Auburn and then transferred down, if you will, to Liberty, right? So somebody's going to say, you know, if Auburn wanted him in the SEC, he must have really had something good going for him. And just because he went down to Liberty and didn't put up the biggest eye-popping numbers, he's probably a real legit talent. So I I think it's safe to say somebody's going to overvalue him. And, of course, that word overvalue in itself is very relative because it depends on whose lens you're looking through. And I understand that, but I can I tend to concur with you. I do believe that that Willis is going to probably join Pickett in the first round. I don't necessarily know if there's going to be more than two first round quarterbacks this year. I think that might be it, and I wouldn't even venture a guess as to what numbers they go. Because right now it's as much of a guessing game as what's going to obviously transpire as we get closer to the draft. But it's just interesting how maybe the talk is surrounding other positions, specifically at this year's Senior Bowl, as opposed to the quarterbacks. And speaking of the Senior Bowl, as we mentioned right off the top, we are now joined by our very own John Schmelk, who is in Mobile, Alabama, taking it all in with respect to the festivities surrounding the Senior Bowl. Schmelk, how's everything on your end? Uh, it is it is kind of raining pretty hard here in Mobile, to be quite honest Uh-oh. with you. One of the reasons I'm calling a little bit late, I'm, I'm trying to situate myself here at the stadium and, and figure out exactly how this is going to go today. Uh, practice tomorrow already got moved to the indoor practice facility that I will not have access to. Um, so I will be trying to get out of here tonight if I can, because there's no reason for me to be here. Uh, but, I, but luckily, I will get access to the practice take. So I'll be able to watch that and, and still pop on the show and obviously talk about that. So um, that's the deal. It's raining, and uh, we'll, we'll try to figure out how to take notes during practice with, with rain falling on my paper notepad. Good luck to me. Just another obstacle thrown in your way as the draft season begins. Well, you were able to observe yesterday's practice, and your full notes are up on Giants.com in case anybody wants to check that out. And you had mentioned clearly they were in uppers, helmet, shoulder pad, shorts, so it wasn't the ultra-physical practice, but... We were talking right before we had you on, John, about how normally the talk of the town is the quarterbacks. Maybe this is not the case for this year's class. So what jumped out to you the most big-picture perspective in terms of the first practice session? Yeah, I mean, look, everyone in here is kind of excited about the quarterbacks because, quite frankly, you know, looking around, there's probably maybe a handful of first-round picks overall, and a couple of those could be the quarterbacks, right? So, you know, as they – judge these guys, I think the exciting thing about the quarterback position is nobody knows what order these guys are going to go in. You know, there's no consensus. 
Some people like Kenny Pickett. Some people like Malik Willis. Some people like Carson Strong and go down the list. So, you know, Howell from North Carolina looked, uh, looked good yesterday. So I think, you know, it's one of those deals where when you don't know what the order is, these guys will have a lot to prove this week. Now, uh, I purposely did not watch a ton of the quarterbacks and wide receivers yesterday because in my experience coming here, I find the first day the wide receiver quarterback stuff is often very sloppy. You know, these guys have not gotten used to each other yet. You're just running these plays for the first time in your lives. I remember back when, you know, Daniel Jones is here. His first day at Senior Bowl was terrible. I mean, he couldn't hit anything. And then he got progressively better as the week went, and then he, you know, finished the week strong. So I tried to focus on the other positions rather than the quarterback, where you do have some guys here, especially up front, that, you know, that I think could either tweak into the end of the first round or certainly be very good second-round picks. John, there's somebody who who I had heard had a really good day. We were asked about him on Twitter, and I know you actually did make note in your notes about him. Jermaine Johnson, the uh, the edge guy from Florida State, who I think a lot of people are very anxious to get some more looks at. Yeah, and look, Jermaine Johnson, he, he's probably one of the better overall edge athletes here. Um, he, he he's kind of long legged. He's a little lanky, but look, he he can he showed quickness and speed and power off the edge, a variety of moves. He's out of Florida State. You know, if you're looking for an edge guy, he's one of the three or four here that I think could potentially sneak into the back end of the first round. Very intriguing player. He did make some noise on day one. I'm looking forward to seeing him in a full pad today. Yeah, I was watching some of the highlights from practice the other day. Johnson put a spin move on one of the offensive linemen that just absolutely floored him. The other guy, to me, John, that stood out was Devontae Wyatt, the Georgia defensive tackle who, I mean, you just look at his pure presence. I mean, he looks like a football player. (laughs) How much, in addition to Jermaine Johnson, did he make quite the statement on day one? Yeah, look, I think there were a couple of defensive tackles, and they were both on the American team. That, uh, that jumped out to me. Devontae Wyatt was one. You know, he has a very good pedigree out of Georgia. He's going to be that three technique, the guy you want to stop the run and rush the quarterback. Uh, he's a guy that's probably a day two pick. I'm not sure. You know, he's not super bursty. I'm not sure that, you know, he's going to break in into day one. It allows, I think, a lot to do with his athletic testing. So we'll have to wait and see on him. The other guy that I really liked that I thought had a, had, had a real good day was John Ridgway. Uh, he's a really big guy, 6'4", over 320 pounds out of Arkansas. You know, he's a guy that I think is more of a nose, takes up a lot of space, good athlete. You know, those are two of the defensive tackles that, that I thought were interesting. And then there was one other one from Ohio State that caught my eye, uh, Haskell Garrett. You know, I have to mention a uh, Ohio State guy, always Dan Salmon will hang up on me. So, you know, he's, he's a guy, he's, he's only – He's, he's only 298 pounds, so he's a little undersized, but he showed a lot of quickness and burst inside. So looking for one of those, like, you know, pass rushing, undersized, under tackles, he's one of those guys that I think kind of jumped out on the national team. John, what specifically is on tap for the schedule today? What are you expecting to see? I know the national team practice is on ESPNU at 1230, followed by the American team at 3 o'clock on, on the deuce. So uh, there's a lot of TV coverage, but you're telling me because it's raining out, I'm kind of wondering what we might see. Well, look, the, we, we are, I'm standing in Hancock Whitney Stadium right now. I mean, practice is going to take place uh, at the stadium. So uh, the cameras are out. You know, but you're going you're gonna to see what you usually see here um, at the stadium today. Tomorrow in the smaller indoor facility, it's a better question. I don't know if I necessarily have the answer to that today. Uh, but I think today it, it, it's going to be a, a pretty typical schedule, two two-hour practices. Guys are in full pads. It's starting to come out the stretch now. 
as you know, the very early parts of practice where not a ton is happening. So uh, that's kind of where we're at, and I, and I think it'll be interesting to see um, how these teams do in some inclement weather, which is obviously something they'll have to deal with in uh, real-life football as well. Yeah. John, we were talking about the pass rushers. I know you said you weren't necessarily focusing on the quarterbacks or the wide receivers, so I want to stay in the trenches but flip to the offensive line, clearly a focus for the Giants with two top ten picks. Who at all stood out in terms of blocking the pass rushers that could perhaps maybe move up some draft boards based on what we've seen over the first few days at the Cedarville? Yeah, absolutely. I saw a couple guys that I think could, could, could really be first-round picks. You look at the national team. Uh, Zion Johnson, the, the guard out of Boston College, uh, he's just solid as a rock, man. He's, he's squat. He's only 6'1", I think, uh, but over 300 pounds. You know, guys tried to power rush him. He would anchor down, get that butt down, and, you know, no one could move him. Uh, he only got beat once. He played uh, two seasons of left guard at Boston College, one at left tackle, but he even took some snaps at center this week trying to, you know, expand his resume a little bit. I think he's an interior guy, not necessarily a tackle at the pro level. But if he can be a center, you know, that makes him more valuable. He's a guy that I think would probably be a, a back half of the first round, top of the second round type of guy. Uh, the other guy, North Dakota State, former teammate of um, Ellerson Smith, Trevor Penning. Uh, he's a left tackle here. Uh, he was a three-year starter left tackle for, for uh, Northern Iowa. And I, I thought he did a really nice job. He's, he's big. He's long. He can move. He's got a nasty streak. Uh, he threw a couple guys down to the ground after plays are over. He's a guy that I think could definitely be a first-round pick. And then one guy that just kind of fascinates me, um, an offensive tackle out of Minnesota, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Daniel Falele. I looked at him on the field. I'm like, wow, that guy's pretty big. He kind of stands out. Then I looked at the measurements. Guys, he, missed, he weighed in at 6'8 and 376 pounds. John, when I saw it, I thought it was a typo in your copy. <laughs> Dude, it, it, it was it was unbelievable, and I'm like, wow, he looked big. I didn't I didn't think he was that big though. And I'm I swear this was before I even looked up his measurements after I got back to the hotel. There was a running play during 11 on 11s. They handed it off. I think it was to Jerome Ford, who actually looked pretty good at running back um, yesterday. It was a toss sweep right, and there's Falele, dude, out in front, running in space. He can move. That is a really fascinating pick. If someone thinks they can harness that size and athleticism and turn him into a player, you know, that to me is a, is a really interesting guy that I think we should be keeping an eye on during this draft pro- process just because of his measurables. John, aside from what you were actually able to see yesterday in the upper padded practice, uh, what is the buzz if you've had a chance to talk to some of the people who are there, whether they be fellow uh, national media or, or some personnel people? Is there, a, is there a particular thing that's got people kind of jawing about? And by the way, I should mention, too, uh, Darian Cunard, Paul, is another guy, um, a tackle for the American team that I thought did a really nice job. He was the one that did those one-on-ones at the end of the American practice practice with, with Jermaine Johnson. Mm-hmm. I thought he had a really nice job at uh, – at our left tackle uh, for, for Kentucky as well. You know, there isn't like that super hot player this year. So I don't know if I can put my finger on what the theme is. It's, it's a very deep class, and I think this is kind of going to be the theme we're talking about, Paula and, and Lance, as we go through this year. It's a very deep class, but there's not like a bunch of like super duper stars at the top, but I think that's probably the case here for the Senior Bowl. Like, if there's no one here that goes in the top 15, that wouldn't surprise me necessarily. So, uh, 
I don't think there is like an overriding theme, Paul. I think I think the big thing is the quarterback. You know, how are these guys going to play out? Will somebody, you know, put their foot down and and cement themselves as a top fifteen pick over the next couple of days? I did not. Again, I did not focus on them, but I did obviously cursory watch them as I'm watching some of the drills. No one stood out to me yesterday where I was like, wow. Um, Malik Willis, you see the, the physical talent, but he was a bit erratic on the first day. You know, even like simple things like doing a drop back and running play action on the center, his feet were like all over the place. So, you know, these are some <laughs> of the things that, that he's going to have to clean up. John, just a heads up, since he's 6'8 and 387, he deserves an extra syllable in his last name. So it's Fa'ah Layla. There's an ah, ah that you got to add, yeah. Well, Thank it's you. understandable because of his length. I mean, come on, you got to do him justice. He shouldn't be <laughs> limited to just three syllables. You got to add the fourth one. So I just wanted to make sure so you treat him accordingly. Yeah, I want to practice. So it's ha ah lele. Correct. Yes. Yeah, because if you okay, talk to him, John, you definitely want to make sure you got it right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's correct. Last one for me. Just out of curiosity, and I know, John, obviously COVID has interrupted the whole Senior Bowl process in years past, so you haven't been down there consistently, but has it returned to normalcy for the most part compared to when you were down there last, or has the structure still pretty much changed in the wake of what occurred last season? Well, you know, since the thing, the funny thing is since I was here last land, COVID really is not a big issue. You know, you have to show a proof of a negative test. You have to show um, uh, that, that, that you were vaccinated, and boosted to get in and cover the event. But as for accessing coverage, you know, access to the players is a little bit limited. You can talk to them after practice, but you can't go on the field and you can't have to talk to, to talk to them from like a distance. So that's that's an issue and that's different. Mm-hmm. And the other different thing is that you know this always used to be in Lad Peebles, which was uh, the, the old stadium for uh, that we used to host the Senior Bowl in. And, and since I was here last two years ago, we didn't travel last year as you mentioned. Uh, it, it's moved into you know Hancock Whitney Stadium, which is South Alabama's facility. It's a beautiful facility. But unfortunately, they kind of cut the stadium in half now. So, you know, before in the old building, you could walk around, sit next to any coach, GM, or scout you want and chat with them. But now they kind of have the media uh, only on one half of the stadium and all the NFL personnel on the other half. So, yeah, it it isn't quite the same. I'll just leave it at that. Absolutely. Well, that's why I was just curious. I'm glad you at least laid out the landscape of the Senior Bowl. So our very own John Schmoke with us here. John, stay out of the raindrops, and uh, we'll speak to you the rest of the week. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Talk to you tomorrow. You got got it, John. John Schmoke with us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, giving us the latest from the Senior Bowl in terms of the dynamics of what's in play. And as he was talking about, weather is always that wild card, Paul, because as soon as it starts raining, if you're in an outdoor stadium – you know, they may not have the ability to have a full outdoor practice, and then they put it indoors, and obviously that places more limitations on the people trying to view things. You know what, Lance? I'm not so sure that some of these folks aren't happy that there's inclement weather. Because remember, when they go to the Combine, at least through this year, and Indianapolis is going to have it for one more year, and then next year they're going to put it out for bid, you know, you're seeing all these guys in perfect conditions. If, if I were a scout, and it mattered to me, and I'm watching these practices, and I'm going to watch this Senior Bowl game. You know, I I want to see some bad weather. I want to see it to be cold. I'd like it to be windy. I wouldn't mind seeing some heavy rain. Why not? I mean, it's quite possible, depending upon what school and what schedules these guys have played, many of them may not have necessarily faced too many nasty weather conditions. 
Nothing wrong with that. I think that's a fair point. The other thing that comes to mind based on what you were talking about, Paul, how many times do we get to this point of the draft process and they start examining the hand size of a quarterback, <laughs> right? And yeah. the reason why I'm bringing that up is because also, also you sometimes think about, well, can he handle cold weather, those hands? Mm-hmm. So to your point, if the conditions are not ideal, let's see what the quarterback could do, and then maybe he could just quiet the skeptics so we don't have to overanalyze whether or not his nail clippings are long enough to your liking. You know, so no, it's, yeah, it's, I have no it, problem with that. It becomes that much of a detail-oriented thing, and especially, remember, something I was told a long time ago, Lance, and I still think it applies. For most of these graders going in, they're looking for reasons to take a guy down as opposed to looking for reasons to build the guy up. Because in most of the cases, these guys have been scouted by two or three, maybe even four people within an organization. And they've written up all the different things that make that player intriguing to them. So the bulk of the stuff is going to be positive. I I was always given the impression that when you get to this point, they're, they're more looking for, is there a reason that we shouldn't like this guy as opposed to should we? Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here. Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, focusing on the Senior Bowl, the beginning of the draft process. Also, Brian Dable trying to put together his coaching staff. A reminder, secure your season tickets for the 2022 season today for only $100. Limited seats are available. Speak with a Giants ticket representative now. You become a season ticket member by calling 888-NYG-1925. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Let's open up the phone lines. We check in with Brandon in New Jersey, who joins us here. What's happening, Brandon? How's it going, Paul? How's it going, Lance? Hi. Doing all right, Brandon. What do you got I, for us? Uh, all right. So I want to start with, I, I, because everything I say is from a perspective of a season ticket holder, like an actual one. So, you know, in May, they're going to want money. So you know, I, I think about it like return on investment and right now I'm, I'm struggling to find reasons for to continue to invest and the problem for me starts at the top and originally with, within like the last couple of days there's been more information but originally I was irritated because I feel like as, as the owners, the Mars and the Tishes in the front office did it, the one part of this team that doesn't really change it seems like we don't learn from past results uh, you know, the, the decision-making and all of that, you know, there's something to be said about real-time decision-making, but then you have to look at the results and say, okay, and factor that into, what well, we made this decision, and this is what's the outcome. Something that's been super irritating to me over and over, we keep doing it for the last eight years, is hiring rookie head coaches. Because you know what, what comes with the rookie head coaches? Growing pains. You know what comes with growing pains? Losses. You know what this team doesn't need any more of? Either. Right? And in fairness, though, at- I'll let you continue, Brandon, but in fairness, you could also say you can hire a coach who does have experience, and that's not necessarily guaranteed to give you wins. Case in point, and once again, I will let you continue. I think actually we have evidence with the Giants in recent history. You have opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Pat Shermer was an experienced coach. Okay, he was somebody that's been in the NFL for some time. He was a previous coach with the Browns, offensive coordinator, and the results weren't very promising. 
in terms of wins and losses at least, and then you went to the opposite end. You brought in Joe Judge, never was a head coach, wasn't necessarily an offensive or a defensive play caller, was a special teams guy, wide receivers coach, and the results were identical. So, I mean, I don't really buy the argument that just because you bring in an experienced guy, that's going to put you on a better path when we've had well, two examples here. You know, to be fair, well, in ask, a lot of ways... Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Can I ask something? Was Pat Shermer a head coach before he came? Yes, he was. He was with the Cleveland Browns. Yes, he was. And it did not go well. Yep. All right, all right. Well, in that case, Lance, you make a you make a valid point because I personally I thought uh, Shermer was just an OC. So then I was doing the math. You got McAdoo, nothing. You got and McAdoo was my favorite of all the rookies who was learning from the players. That was lovely. Then you got uh, Shermer. I thought Shermer was a first time. So you tell me that was his second go round. Yeah, correct. He was the head coach of the Browns for two seasons. You know, and, 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 and Carlo, let me make something clear. I happen to agree with you, and even Joe Shane had said going into the process, he would have preferred initially hiring a head coach who had had previous head coaching experience. And then as they went through the process, it turned out that they hired Dable. So, you know, I was on the same page with Shane, to be honest with you. I, I do prefer, if I can get one, somebody who's had NFL head coaching experience because I do believe dealing with the media and dealing with a lot of the outside other things that may not be on the field is a significant part of the job, and it can be very difficult to navigate for a rookie head coach. So I share that viewpoint with Shane and apparently with you too. But here's the, the, the bottom line. It's a lot like picking players in the draft. Picking head coaches, or, or not so much GMs maybe, but picking head coaches and picking players in the draft or picking free agents, in a way it's kind of not much different than the stock market. Past performance does not always indicate future results. And hindsight yep. is always going to be twenty twenty, and that's going to be the only thing that comes up perfect with the correct answer every time. So you have to just judge it on an individual basis and go with your gut and go with the best shot that you got, and you got to cross your fingers to some degree and hope that it works out. Well, I, I just – well, I guess real quick, Lance kind of just shot my whole point in, the, in a giant hole in it real quick. He didn't take long <laughs> at all. He, he wasn't it. trying to be but, mean. Uh, no, I was just telling you the facts. Yes, my sincere yeah, apologies. As Paul said, I was just sticking to the facts, correct? That's it. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you did because for me, I was just adding, I'm like, this is number four, man. And how long do I have to watch just tanking, tanking, tanking? And then I'm doing the math like, well, if they up against the cap, and we know this is not a contender at the moment. So you got a first-time head coach. You already know there's going to be a level of dismantling. I know he said, I want to win. Shane said, I want to win and build at the same time, but we all know that's not going to happen. You're going to lose while you build. Like, Brandon, how happen. far do you go so back now, with the Giants? You said you had season tickets. How far do you go back? Uh, my season tickets are two years, and I've been a Giant. Well, I'm 31, and I've been a Giants fan since, uh, I don't know, I guess like 03. Here's what I'm going to tell you. The last yeah. time that they had a head coach who was not a head coach prior – and immediately took them to the playoffs was Jim Fossil, who had been, you know, a an offensive assistant for several years, got appointed head coach in 1997, and immediately, as a rookie head coach, took the Giants to the playoffs. So he would be exactly the opposite, right? And I'm not, I'm talking about before the guys you just talked about, because obviously McAdoo right. was in a similar situation, but going right. back a ways. So it can work, but it also cannot work. Hindsight's going to tell you if they made the right pick. 
And I think, you know, as I mentioned, Brandon, previously, I just don't think there's enough of a trend. Like, I get your point, and certainly experience is always synonymous with comfort. You feel good. A guy's steered the ship before. Okay, he knows what he's doing. But I think if you look across the NFL landscape, even let's take it beyond the Giants, I think there's examples of guys who have had no experience. For example, Nick Sirianni took over the Eagles last year. He was the one coach out of the seven that were hired last year. He made the playoffs. Okay, so Philadelphia certainly feels good about that hiring. And then, you know, you're going to find the guy that was recycled a few times, and the results have been very shaky, very up and down. Well, so well, I just don't think there's enough of a track record to go across the NFL to say you got to go in this direction or else you're going to well, be in trouble. My thing was less about – so I think when you talk about experience, Coach, the one thing is uh, kind of like the stock market, there's still mutual funds, right? There's still ones that just kind of stay where they're at. So if you got like uh, what's my man Jeff Fisher, he was nine and seven. You knew if you hired Jeff Fisher, he was nine and seven. He wasn't making it to playoffs, but you weren't going to be terrible. It didn't matter what team he was on, he was going to be nine and seven. So you kind of. Well, I think it was seven and nine actually is the statistic you're looking for, Brandon. He's been criticized <laughs> yeah. for flip flopping, going yes, seven yes. and nine, not nine and seven. But I get your point. I understand what oh, you're coming from. But yes. I just That's knew okay. he had a floor, but he also had a ceiling. So when we're in a point, and and this is what I mean, is like. For eight years or eight years, a better part of a decade, really, is we've been watching terrible, not, not completely terrible on the field, but we're just watching a lot of losses. And there's no ROI at the moment. So why wouldn't, like, they hired, they interviewed Dan Quinn. And wasn't Dan Quinn the infamous 28-3 uh, uh, and three coach? Yeah, he was the Falcons coach when they lost to the Patriots right. in the Super Bowl. So, Correct, yes. So if we interview a guy like that, like, we may not, yeah, it may not work out, but we at least know that Dan Quinn has a floor. Where it's this guy, the ball, we don't know. He's never had this job before. So we're rebuilding the team, and we also have to have watch a man learn how to do his job on the job. Not all aspects. Of course, he's been around the NFL for 21 years. I'm not trying to poo-poo his, his resume. I'm just saying that he's never sat in this chair before. Therefore, he's never had to deal with every single issue that comes to this desk. And as long as he's sitting there learning – there's going to be situations where we're going to look around and go, man, maybe if we had an experienced head coach to steer a ship that is headed down. It's not like this one was already floating and then you bring it because then I'm fine with hiring a rookie. If we were all right on the team and we were like kind of middling and we're looking for that, that next and you get that juice, you know what I mean? Like when they hired uh, Matt LaFour in uh, Green Bay or, or the way that uh, Shanahan picked up. Uh, uh, San Francisco, where it's a middling team, but you needed an extra little juice, and now we're getting some fresh legs in here, fresh mindset. But the team on its own is fine. But when you got multiple issues everywhere, that's I don't want a rookie steering this this boat. I need somebody that knows that team, done some stuff, and that's where it's like it's tough to look at. And the last thing is, and I'm and I'm gonna get off is originally I was really irritated at management until, like I said, more reports came out, and the reports then say that John Mara was calling for the other drama that's out there. John Mara was calling Flores saying, like, hey, man, you're a real candidate. Because then it's like, oh, okay, so management is looking and going, ah, bro, I'm sick of the, the new weed. I need somebody that knows what they're doing. And then that means that, and I know that John Mara said that, I'm going to let my GM make the decisions and do his job. I'm not going to step in front. So ultimately this GM chose this rookie. But when you're the management and you've watched these last ones not work out, and I'm telling you, GM, I've been here. You're new. I've been here. And I own this place. And I'm telling you that this probably isn't the greatest idea. I want this guy over here or I want this guy for these reasons. And you're just, I'm not going to go it my way. 
it just seems like it's going to be more of the same because you're going to get the new guy comes in and he's going to want to put it his way. And, and then as Giants fans who, unlike these people who switch chairs and move teams, they get to go start over fresh and new. As a Giants fan, I still have to sit and look at the whole carnage, not what you did in your little bit of time here. I get to look at all of the carnage. And I, it, it just is disheartening. And Brandon, I, time I mean, will tell, my yeah. man. Time will yeah. tell. That's all I can. That's all I can say. And there's and no, we'll, there's no guarantees. You know, your stockbroker is not yeah. going to give you a guarantee on your next mutual fund either. That's why you roll the dice. And we'll let you go on that note, Brandon. Appreciate the phone call. Plus, if you apply that logic, Paul, you can also say, well, hey, Joe Shane's a brand-new general manager, right? He's never done this before. He's been an assistant GM. He's worked in the front office. Same thing like Brian Dable. Dable's been in the NFL as an assistant. We're talking about going back to 2000. So we're talking about over 20 years of experience being in the NFL. Shane, too. But until you're in the seat, yeah, you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. You but know, the though, bottom Vince, line is eventually you got to allow a guy to spread his wings and see what he could do. There's no question about what you just said. I do, however, think it's a little bit different with Shane because Brandon Bean has been very expressive about he was in lockstep with Shane throughout their time together in Buffalo. I mean, knew him a long time, but in Buffalo, he basically made it sound as though they were like co-general managers because he said Shane was involved in everything that I did, and if he wasn't, I made sure I got him caught up to speed and I told him everything that I did. I mean, it, 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 it maybe it's a very unique situation, but it sounds to me like Brandon Bean kind of made Shane his twin, and he was like a pseudo-general manager, and you don't hear that very often amongst assistant GMs. Usually they have a very defined role, and it's not – like a co-GM ship. It did sound that way like it was in Buffalo. Well, that he was heavily involved in the process and that Bean entrusted him to do things when he had a lot on his plate. I mean, especially he absolutely because gave that off. He did. And then yeah. when then when he said that it was Shane who was the 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 um the the uh, captain of the search for the quarterback and it was Shane who anchored the entire process that wound up getting them Josh Allen. That's a hell of a of a thing to put on your quote assistant. You would have thought that Brandon Bean might have wanted to, you know, captain that ship himself, being that, you know, the franchise quarterback is usually the thing that makes or breaks your team. But he gave that to Joe Shane and said, You be the point man for this. That's pretty impressive, no? Well, that's why staff members are so important, what you're laying out, because what's the point of bringing somebody in to work under you if you don't trust them to handle some of those responsibilities? But to me, it's somewhat similar, Paul, to if we circle back to where we started the show and I was bringing up Shane talking about Dable's influence in the draft process, and also he had mentioned that he laid out how they were going to evaluate all those quarterbacks in the 2018 class before they drafted Josh Allen. It seems as if they certainly entrusted Dable as an offensive coordinator to have some influence and say another example I'll give you which is I think what you're talking about with respect to the dynamics between Bean and Shane is I spoke to Jim Caldwell not too long ago on my serious show mm-hmm. and he gave the example when he was on the Colts staff under Tony Dungy they also gave him the title Paul of assistant head coach in addition to being you know somebody else on staff that had right. many roles and what Tony did was he told me, which I found interesting, this is how you prepare somebody to take the next step. Every meeting that Dungy had with the front office, with right. Bill Polian, he brought Caldwell into those meetings. 
He wanted him to experience what a day-to-day operation is like for a head coach that has nothing to do with X's and O's, meaning you come up to the office, you may talk about roster moves that you have to make, who you have to boost from the practice squad. He had Caldwell sit in on all of those. So Caldwell said when he went for interviews, he understood what it Mm -hmm. takes in addition to X's and O's to be a head coach. And I found that very interesting. I agree with you, Lance, because over the many, many years that, that I've been involved in this league, the truth of the matter is that does not happen very often. Where, where you yeah. know, your boss, whether he be the GM or, or whether he be the head coach, almost acts like a big brother. And it's not just that they want to work in unison with you, but they actually want to bring you up like right onto the, uh, onto the, onto the chair with you. And, and they're willing to, to train you because they think that's going to be your next step and they want you to get there. And they're willing to literally give you everything they've got so that you do move on and move up. I, 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 it's incredibly unselfish. It says a lot about Dungy. It says a lot about Brandon Bean. And it's to the credit of the guys who absorb it. The other thing that I want to add before we open up the conversation, just with respect to what the last caller brought up, We talked about this a lot. We heard it from Shane. We heard it from Dable. Relationships are important, and let's not be naive, meaning individuals that have established relationships prior. When you get a new job, Paul, so for example, Joe Shane comes in. He's going to want to surround himself with individuals that in all likelihood he already has a working relationship because if he feels that he brings in people he's insulated by people he trusts, then therefore that will make him do a better job. So Mm -hmm. I think what you have to take into consideration, it's not that – the Giants were only looking at a guy with experience versus not experience. I think they also respected what Shane said and what he felt was going to allow him to do his job in a comfortable fashion. So if you connect the dots, and I've been bringing this up for years, whether you look at other teams or you look at the Giants, look at who crossed paths with who before they got to their current positions. It's no surprise that people constantly turn to individuals they know. So I don't think the Giants situation right now is any different than what we've seen in other aspects of the NFL. Well, we just saw that with the last head coach. I mean, the Belichick-Saban coaching tree, we all praise Joe Judge for being able to reach back into his winning background under two legends to fill out his staff. And you know what? It's a great idea, and it does sound good. And I believe all of us believe that there is a lot of logic to that, and there's a lot of benefit to that. That doesn't guarantee it's going to 100%. work. 100%. Yes. And that's the key phrase that you mentioned right there. Nothing, it could be a great ideal game plan, Paul. Okay? Just like the draft, right? You do your homework on all these prospects. You feel you did your due diligence. You get up there. You make the pick. You don't know whether the guy is going to get hurt a year from then. You can't guarantee that he's going to remain durable, and you certainly can't guarantee that all of a sudden he's going to flourish. There's always that risk that is part of the draft process as much as it is hiring a general manager and a head coach. So that's why I keep going back to the Giants have learned firsthand. We brought in an experienced guy. We brought in a guy that was in the short end of the pool, right? He was still wearing the swimmies, okay? We threw him into the deep end. (laughs) But you don't know whether it's going to be a smooth transition into him all of a sudden doing the breaststroke, right, Paul? Or is he still going to be paddling, okay, to try to keep himself afloat? You just, you don't know. Nope. And that's why I think the Giants didn't necessarily go in saying, well, we've got to go with experience because experience didn't necessarily automatically guarantee us success. All right, let's head back to the phone lines at 201-939-4513. Jeff is in Maine joining us here. What's happening, Jeff? 
Oh, hey guys. Uh, Hi. So I'm loving the picks. I'm loving the picks for the GM and the coach, and I'm really excited about uh, hopefully keeping Patrick Graham. Um, I, I think that he doesn't actually get enough credit for what he did because I don't think it's really fair to judge him by total yards or total points given up last year. Mm-hmm. I think a more fair uh, judgment would be uh, uh, yards per play because you know we had no offense, so obviously the uh, opposing offense is going to get twice as many uh, attempts at it, and therefore they'll probably get twice as many yards and twice as many points. And um, So anyway, I just wanted to get that out there. And then I got a couple possible player cuts for you. Uh, I know that's going to be a big topic coming up soon. Um, the punting game. I, I think in today's NFL, uh, a professional punter needs to be able to punt the ball 50 yards. And I think Riley Dixon, a good punt for him was like maybe 43. And so that means every time that you have a punt exchange, which we had a lot of earlier in the year, they're going to lose, you know, seven yards on it. And additionally, he didn't, um, he would never try to kick it out within the 20 or wasn't able to. And I think you can get just get a, a punter late in the draft, you know, uh, that can kick the ball 50 yards. And so that'd be $3 million you save, you know, dropping him. And then the other one's kind of a tough one because he's a good player, but he's got a lot of injury issues, and that'd be uh, Sterling Shepard. I think you're probably, gonna have, unfortunately, going to have to let him go. But anyway, that's all I got. I uh, appreciate it, and I'm enjoying your show. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for the Thank phone you. call. I mean, we've had some initial conversations. And once again, all speculation. There's no indication that the Giants are going to get rid of any specific individual. That's something that Joe Shane is going to have to decide. Sterling Shepard, unfortunately, suffered the torn Achilles, Paul, very late mm-hmm. in the season. So right now, I think the big thing hovering over Sterling Shepard, and he was, it's important to note, at Brian Dable's introductory presser where they greeted each other. You had Blake Martinez there, too, another player who suffered a season-ending injury. You just, at this point, it's hard to gauge when Shepard will be ready to go because when a guy endures that type of an injury very late in the season, it's fair to say it could very well eat into being ready for the start of the season. I know, for example, Saquon Barkley, he was available for week one, but remember, there were questions about him going up against the clock and being ready, and he was somebody that got hurt in the second game of the season the previous year. There, there, there are certainly a lot of unknowns there, but I will say this. Uh, in talking to Jeff Fiegel's part of our broadcast team, who, I mean, I don't know that you're going to find a better expert on punting. He will tell you that Riley Dixon had a better year than people are giving him credit for. He did definitely had some inconsistencies. But if you listen to Jeff, uh, who knows, again, knows that skill better than any of us, uh, he thinks that Dixon's getting a bad rap. So I just offer that to you, and when Jeff's on the program again, I don't know, is it tomorrow or Friday? He is on tomorrow, correct. He's yes. on tomorrow. Please, by all means, if you want to uh, you know, put up a tweet to him or, or maybe uh, – I, I, I don't think we're on the one-call-a-week thing right now. Maybe if you want to try again tomorrow – I think Jeff could maybe explain it to you better in detail. Well, I'll I'm pose the question to him, it. Paul. I'll let him expand upon it. Yeah, I have let no him do it. Because yeah. he, he has had this conversation with me many a times and thinks that Dixon got a bad rap. I'm just bringing up Riley Dixon's statistics. And once again, I don't think statistics tell the whole story. But if you look at his numbers from 2021, Paul, just as a whole in comparison to, example, what he did in 2020, there's really that not big of a difference in terms of the statistics. And once again, I'm not saying that that tells the whole story because situational punting, eye test, all of that, you have to take it into consideration. But if you just look at the numbers in terms of, you know, touchback percentage, total yardage, average, it's almost equivalent 
to what he did in 2020. There's not that big of a drop-off. I would say the most notable drop-off, if you were just looking at it from a statistical percentage, is inside the 20 percentage, which is what the last caller brought up. And there were certainly circumstances. Listen, we remember games where teams got great field position, unfortunately, because of the inability to down it inside the 20, the ball bouncing into the end zone. So, you know, certainly there are certain examples that we could bring up. But that, to me, I think is the biggest drop-off statistically compared to anything else that you could bring up if you just play the numbers game. Yeah, I remember probably three games where late in games you could have used a really good booming punt from him, and he wound up not getting a good one off. And everybody admitted to that, Thomas McGahee, uh, the special teams coordinator would come out later on in the week and say, hey, sometimes you just miss it, you yep. know, and it, it happens. Um, and so I'm not suggesting, and this is not my opinion, I'm not suggesting that Riley Dixon uh, was terrific, and I'm not suggesting he was terrible. I'm simply relaying what Jeff Fiegels will tell you tomorrow, is that uh, a lot of the criticism of Dixon, not all of it, but a lot of it, seems to have been piling on because he, he apparently, again, according to Fiegels, did a better job than people think. And as far as the first caller's point, bringing up Patrick Graham, the Vikings sent out confirmation. They did conduct a second interview with Patrick Graham the other day, and they're still going through that process. So he's a candidate. As long as he's still a candidate, until the Vikings make a decision on the head coach, Patrick Graham's status right now has a big Mm -hmm. question mark hovering over him. So, you know, until the Vikings once again make a decision, or unless he's pursuing or considering other options elsewhere— We don't know at this point. You heard what Brian Dable said at the presser. They would love to have him return, but the ball right now is in the hands of Patrick Graham and the Minnesota Vikings, depending on how that process plays out. There's really no new news on that front. If you believe the national media, Jim Harbaugh is interviewing with the Vikings today, and I know a number of people uh, out of the network in Bristol seem to believe that he's going to nail down that job by the end of the day. Uh, If that's true then uh, that's a spot that Patrick Graham won't be able to necessarily grab. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, Harbaugh is a very, very big name. The people in Minnesota have been very disappointed with what happened with Mike Zimmer. And so uh, making a big splash is something you could logically uh, kind of comprehend from a Vikings perspective. Well, he did a very nice job with the Niners. And also, what do I talk about all the time, Paul? Relationships. The new general manager for the Minnesota Vikings, he was in San Fran with Jim Harbaugh. So that's all you need to know in terms of why. I'm not saying that's the only reason, Paul, why they're bringing Jim Harbaugh in for an interview. As you mentioned, he's a big-name guy, similar to Zimmer. So, you know, if you want to impress the fan base. But once again, he had a very impressive resume in San Francisco. He took the Niners to three straight Mm -hmm. conference championship games. I don't think there's, you know, luck involved. Involved in that, I think that has to do with skill. But the relationship between the new GM and Harbaugh cannot be overlooked. I can, think that's can I say highlight. this before you get to the next call, Lance? Can I sure. simply say, if it were my preference, I hope selfishly that Patrick Graham stays. I think the Giants would be better off if Patrick Graham stays for the two reasons that you said earlier. He is a good coach, and the continuity on that side of the ball has to be helpful to a new GM and a new head guy. It's something we preach all the time. I understand fans, they want constant change, and unfortunately the Giants have endured that, but 
if you, once again, if you look across the NFL landscape, you'd be hard-pressed to find organizations that constantly play the game of musical chairs, and it leads to instantaneous success. So if you're looking for, to your point, Paul, some establishment of continuity, that would be a step in the right direction in bringing back the defensive coordinator who already has established his scheme, is familiar with the personnel, and can at least help out the new members of the coaching staff. So I really don't think that there's a negative from that standpoint, but hey, Patrick Graham, like any other coach, right? He's paid his dues. If he does get the opportunity, I certainly would wish him the best. And, and good I think for that, him. If yes, it happens, and, and members good for of him. this organization, I think, have echoed similar sentiments. No too. question. You're not going to stand in the way of an individual if he has an opportunity to take the next step. And such a good guy, too. Sure, 100%. And he also has the Ivy League tie-in to the new general manager. So that's why I'm fascinated to see how this Minnesota thing plays out because Harbaugh, right, worked with the new GM in San Francisco, but then Graham's got the Ivy League tie-in. So I don't know what's going to give the edge, but time will tell. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. Antonio is in Delaware joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Antonio? Hey, how are you guys doing? Hi. Doing right. What do you got for us? Um, I just want to... Make a quick statement on this whole Brian Flores um, situation right now. This situation has created a huge problem, not for Flores, but for the whole Giants as well. And unfairly, it's automatically going to put a huge target on Brian Dable's um, back before the before the season even started. And Giants fans. Come September, they don't want to hear anything about the first the first four games of the preseason is an extension of the, um, the preseason. This team, come September, needs to hit the ground running. Fans are not waiting for no excuses or anything like that. And if the NFL does the proper investigation and finds out what the Miami Miami Dolphins asked Brian Flores to, to do, if it's true or if it's not true, is going to be a whole mess. All right, Antonio. Well, we appreciate the phone call. Just to piggyback off of the caller, the Giants issued a statement with respect to all the reports that you have seen. I want to read the statement because that's really at this point the only thing that could be said. The Giants issued the following statement yesterday, quote, we are pleased and confident with the process that resulted in the hiring of Brian Dable. We interviewed an impressive and diverse group of candidates. The fact of the matter is Brian Flores was in the conversation to be our head coach until the 11th hour. Ultimately, we hired the individual we felt was most qualified to be our next head coach end quote so that's the statement there is nothing else to be added to that because if there is any investigation or legal process that will play out accordingly as far as Paul the statement that the last caller made with respect to Brian Dable and the cloud or how he's going to be judged Dable's going to be judged based on his results as a head coach no matter what you want to talk about is on the outside okay this is a result-oriented business so just like Joe Judge and Pat Shermer and Ben McAdoo were judged accordingly, Dable's not necessarily going to be put on an island or there's going to be a separate set of criteria. But I will say this, if 
the fan base and some of the callers that we hear from on this show are acknowledging the fact that, and even Dable and Joe Shane have acknowledged the fact, Paul, that it's a challenge what they're walking into, right? It's not going to be something that's going to be fixed mm-hmm. overnight. Even John Mara, I believe, used that phrase in passing. Then you at least need to be realistic in terms of when the last caller says, well, I don't want the first four games of the season to be an extension of the preseason. If we're acknowledging the fact that they need to do a lot of work with respect to the roster, coaching up players, and so forth, then you at least need to put your expectations in check in terms of what he could realistically do within the first quarter of the season. Well, I do think there is going to be some growing pains. We all know that. And we also know that this roster is not going to look quite the same. We know there's going to have to be salary cap cuts. But I do think it is interesting, and I haven't gone back and looked at the preseason snaps of the Buffalo Bills to see exactly how they've played it and how many times their regulars played the bulk of those preseason games. It would be a very interesting study. Maybe I should call up there and figure out if somebody can give me that information. But I would tell you this. Over the last three years, the Buffalo Bills started out in their first four games, 3-1, and 4-0, and and 3-1. and Add that up, and it comes out to 10-2. and I think... Um, That probably tells you that Brian Dable is used to winning in September, and it's something that uh, he would subscribe to. The first year he got there. I think every coach would subscribe to that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now, the first year he got there in 18, they were 1 3 in September, but remember, that was the rookie season of uh, Josh Allen, and they were still trying to find themselves. But I do think it it is rather impactful to say that Brian Dable has been part of an organization that has gotten off to good starts in recent memory. I will be very interested the next time I get a chance to speak with Brian in person. I can promise you this. uh, Out of my own curiosity, I will ask him about his philosophy in terms of getting off to good starts, how important it is to get guys going and get the oil on the wheels turning in August. Uh, How much did those guys play? What are your thoughts about that? I think it's a, for me, it's a very important thing that I would have wanted to ask every one of these head coaching candidates when they came in. And so now that Dable is the guy, I'm curious on my own because I've said this many times and I'm not backing off from it. I think the lack of playing time and continuity from your regulars during the preseason is one of the reasons so many of these teams have trouble in September. And I'm, I'm not going to back off of that. If, if he disagrees with me, he's entitled to. He's the head coach. He has the title. He makes more money than I do. And I'm just a guy who sits here and does a show. So, you know, that's just the way it is. It's something that I have to live with if that's the case. But I will ask him. I promise you that. Well, one thing that I'll just add before we wrap up the program, Paul, the other thing that's important to note is he's been under a variety of different head coaches, not just Sean McDermott. And I'm sure he's learned from each of those individuals. He may have seen things he liked from some. He may have seen things that he didn't like from others. So just because Buffalo ran it one way does not mean that he's going to duplicate that because he may have liked how Belichick did something or a previous head coach. He was under Eric Mangini, for example, in Cleveland. I'm just throwing out names. We know that Belichick wins every month. (laughs) Well, I mean, but also Belichick also has been known as resting some of his guys, though, during the preseason, too, is what I'm saying. So I wouldn't read too much into... No, there's nothing wrong with doing the research, Paul. I just, I don't know when you're not the head guy... It, you, and you're put in a different seat, you have every right to go in any other direction no that you want to go. 
And the other thing that's important to note is, I know you referenced all the Bills' strong starts. He's not bringing the Bills' roster with him, okay? No, he's not. <laughs> so that's the other big difference, okay? When you have Josh Allen and a dynamic oh. offense and a good defense, it also affords you some luxuries that you may not have here with the Giants. But it will certainly be something to monitor as we inch closer to the offseason as well as the start of training camp. All right, that is going to wrap up. Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live will be up and running again on Thursday, noon Eastern. We'll continue to break down the Senior Bowl. We'll continue to unravel the process playing out for Brian Dable as he tries to put his coaching staff together and all of the other things related to the New York Giants. We appreciate everybody tuning in for today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, which is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul DeTino, I'm Lance Meadow. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Thursday at noon Eastern. Have a good one.